listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 9th of December 2021. Later, the biggest cash takeover in Australian corporate history gets the green light from the HBC. We'll have more on that in a few moments. But first, to digital currencies, because the RBA Governor, Philip Lowe, today said... It was open to a central bank digital currency, potentially called the EAUD, for consumers. So it means we could exchange cash or transfer bank funds for digital money, which would be treated like cash. The thing is, though, we might still be some long time away before this comes to reality. So to explain, I spoke earlier with Professor Ellie Rennie. She's the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub professor. And I first asked her, what's the importance of the fact that we're even having this discussion? The importance of this is that it means we would essentially hold something like digital cash in our own wallets. So this is a bit different from having money in a bank account, which is essentially private money or commercial bank money that is transferred behind the scenes. This is more like having cash in your wallet or under your mattress, but you have that. And why they're considering doing this is because our whole financial infrastructures and systems are evolving rapidly and largely beyond their control. How do you think this will work, right? Because the RBA says consumers could pay for things using tokens held in digital smartphone wallets instead of in bank accounts. So can you explain that? Does that mean, for example, you need to exchange um, cash or digital money into a token? So is that how it works? Yes, absolutely. At some point, there would have to be an exchange of either cash or, as you said, money in your bank account for this token. Uh, So that might look something like what we would do if we were purchasing cryptocurrency, I imagine, where you essentially pay for this thing and then you receive it. Uh, And that means rather than uh, your payments being handled, say, through FPOS or Visa, you can just send it more in a peer-to-peer fashion using your wallet to someone else's wallet. And why would a consumer want to do that? It's a very good question. In Australia, I think our electronic payments are pretty efficient and we're well used to them. Some of the reasons where when it might make sense would be if you're a business and you're, you feel like you're paying high fees, for instance, in order to use uh, these electronic payment systems. Or, for instance, if you're transferring money overseas and we know that the rates for transferring money can be extremely high and that definitely disadvantages some populations, particularly people who have come from overseas and are trying to send money back home. So in the remittance area, I think this would be quite transformative. What about the safety aspect? Yeah, I think that the RBA will move very cautiously with this. In fact, they haven't even yet specified what that retail CBDC, as it's called, would look like or who would administer it. What we can assume is that it will be done not so much on a public blockchain ledger, but probably within a private consortium of partners who would all share that database, essentially. So that means they can wind it back if something goes wrong. 
And finally, what do you think is the RBA's motive? But more importantly, if we do move to this type of a system, what do you think it means for the financial system and the banks? Because it could potentially mean less money as bank deposits if people are using some of that savings to convert into a a token, I guess. Absolutely. I think that is probably one of the biggest issues with these CBDCs that's been discussed among reserve banks around the world. Uh, If they administer this directly from the RBA, then what does that mean for the commercial banking sector? As you say, they don't have those deposits. So what does that mean for the interest that they will, uh, you know, have to put on loans and the other flow-on effects from that could be quite significant. There could also be, you know, broader implications for monetary policy and they're the things that they will be thinking about. But, of course, there are threats on that front already. One of the things that the RBA will be thinking about over the coming months where the consultation around this issue occurs is whether they, in fact, have a commercial bank or another financial service provider issue this for them. So the governor made mention of something called a stable coin, which is more like a kind of synthetic Australian dollar that would be pegged to the value of the AUD. And that means that that particular service will deal with things like the the know your customer or other kinds of interfaces that we might need to use in order to interact with this particular digital currency. That's Professor Ellie Rennie there from RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub. Now, the Reserve Bank Governor made these comments at the Australian Payments Network Summit today. He also mentioned, and I'll quote it from his speech, to date, though, we have not seen a strong public policy case to move in this direction. That's in terms of, a, um, I guess, a consumer EAUD, especially given Australia's efficient fast and convenient electronics payment system. It is possible, however, that the public policy case could emerge quite quickly as technology evolves and consumer preferences change. So in other words, um, it's a very long way away. Okay, let's go to the Australian share market now, which did fall after four days of gains. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.3% to 7,384. Energy stocks performing the worst, but the ACCC had a, a pretty active day today, approving three major takeovers. The first, Seven West Media to take over Prime Media Group. It's also approved Cleanaway's purchase of some of the assets of French Suez. And it also greenlighted uh, a major deal, potentially the biggest cash takeover in Australian corporate history. It's the takeover of Sydney airports valued at around $23.6 billion by a fund management consortium. So for more on that, I spoke earlier with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Um, it's pretty big. I, mean, it's the, I think it's the biggest cash deal that the Australian Stock Exchange have ever seen. The afterpay merger uh, with Square is a bigger deal in monetary terms, but then again, that is uh, a share deal rather than a cash deal. Square is using its shares to buy Afterpay. So this is a big, significant deal. And we've seen a number of these deals this year. Spark Infrastructure as well is another one that's been taken over in that infrastructure space. And what it does show is that pension funds are getting more aggressive around the world. And we've seen that from Canada. We've seen it also from Australia in terms of their aggression in trying to lock in good quality strategic long-term assets, especially in a world where record low interest rates are making it hard for them to earn 
the returns they require. So they are using those infrastructure plays which have mandated, I guess, kind of inflation-proof uh, income to help them uh, smooth out the bumps and put that money to work in uh, relatively safe places, especially when, you know, with Sydney Airport, they have that monopolistic uh, sort of uh, front uh, although, we, of course, we do have the Western Sydney Airport coming in a couple of years' time. But still, Sydney Airport will be the dominant player. So we have seen more of this. And I think 2022, we're going to continue to see the M&A fever that we've seen this year. Can we go into a bit more detail with that? I mean, as you said, this has been a huge year for those um, uh, merger and acquisitions. And then... Th- these deals, they haven't been small deals. They've been massive deals. I mean, like you said, um, Afterpay, uh, there's now Oil Search and Santos, where we've seen BHP uh, hive off its petroleum assets to our Woodside. Um, is it purely all just because of lower interest rates? Or, or the fact that, you know, we've come out of a period of COVID, has, has that played into it too? I think it's a bit of both, but I think the driving force is low interest rates, really. And the fact that Australian companies generally have pretty strong balance sheets Post the GFC, they did a lot of work in actually repairing those balance sheets. And in some cases, they've been lazy balance sheets. And investors have been keen for the companies to put that money to work. Acquisitions is a very good way of doing it. And we have seen not only, I guess, uh, mergers, but also demergers. We've seen the likes of Borrell selling off their US business and returning capital. We've seen you know, Seven Group buying into Borrell in a big way. We've seen some big IPOs. I think there were 207 IPOs so far this year with around 250 in theory uh, between uh, now and December uh, totaling. So there's another sort of 43 to come in the next few weeks. Capital raisings have been uh, huge, massive amounts of money have been raised this year for exploration and project development in the mining space as well. So money is, is cheap and plentiful and it is being put to use. And because they have these lazy balance sheets in some cases, then we are seeing uh, these takeovers happening, which are occurring at pretty good premiums, over 50% premiums to the uh, the last traded price. But it's interesting to see the private equity has been actually quite low in terms of uh, their appetite for buying things. They have tended to be more sellers this year, which I, I guess is telling you something about the, the state of the market or maybe the record highs that we've seen in the market, that maybe the smartest guys in the room have actually been net sellers, uh, really, deals rather than uh, net buyers. But we certainly have seen private equity playing in this space big time again, but uh, not to the extent we have seen in previous years. And very briefly, given it might be the last time we speak this year, where do you see the opportunities for 2022? Uh, I think it's going to be a, a stock picker's 2022. I think the year ahead is going to be more volatile. There's a number of political issues on the horizon. We've got the federal election, we've got midterms in the US, and we've got central banks dealing with that inflation. And there's also some uh, other macro things like Ukraine and Taiwan rumbling around. So I think we're going to see more volatility. It's not going to be the one-way recovery reopening bet that we've seen in 2021. It's not going to be simple. I think you're going to have to be a little bit more fleet of foot in 2022 and just a little bit more selective in where you put your investment dollars. Henry Jennings there from Marcus Today. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.